You may be seated. We actually have a physical Bible in here. I encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you don't, I encourage you to look on your phone. Uh, just make sure that that little camera is off so uh, you won't have to answer a call or in the middle of our service, okay? I want to speak directly to all who are being confirmed, but what I say, say especially, of course, I preach to all of us. I have returned to 1 Peter again and again over the course of 40 years of life and ministry and teaching and preaching, and I have turned to it to encourage and strengthen followers of Jesus for the journey of faith in a challenging and resistant world. That's kind of the context here. Um, Peter's original purpose holds as true today as it did when it was written. And that is to make clear where we are headed. That the suffering that we may experience now, the limitations, the weaknesses, the pains and sorrows of this life, the challenges of this life, the difficulties of this life, will be swallowed up in glory. And that when we get there, we will have an eternal existence of joy and love and life forever, free and unfettered, clean before the Lord. And Peter is encouraging us to let that eternal joy bleed back into our current experience. And let it color us as we walk through this life, honestly, with integrity, unflinchingly, but nevertheless filled with a deep joy and purpose and hope and confidence and clarity in spite of whatever resistances and struggles we may be facing. Now, I'd love to be able to take six or seven weeks to walk through the letter with you because I love this letter. But today I can't, I can only kind of give you an appetizer, sort of a simple framework for these first nine verses. And I, you can pull together an outline with just five words. I'm going to emphasize just five words. And if you remember those five words, you can see them in this first nine verses, and then you'll be able to pick them up if you were to study the letter further on your own. And I encourage you to do this. It's one of the, I think, most effective letters for teaching us how to live as hopeful people, as joyful people, as confident people in the realities of the world we live in. And my method is simple. This was originally a personal direct letter to a group of followers, and I want you to take this very directly in person. Uh, the Lord is speaking through His Word livingly, personally, directly to us. And these are authoritative words from God. And I want you to notice the tone with which Peter addresses the people. He does not give them if clauses. He gives them truth statements. Declarative statements about what is reality. And I want to encourage you to receive these words as reality for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Peter, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I was in 1 Corinthians. doesn't it? Peter didn't even write 1 Corinthians. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He begins by addressing these people as exiles, as strangers, as peculiar people. Some of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are more peculiar than others, okay? But all of us are exiles. You guys need to lighten up a little bit. All right, let's move over to this collection. We are never meant to be fully at home. 
We possess an identity and a citizenship and allegiance that sets us apart. And that can and does create stress for us because we, by definition, live against the grain. We're out of step with our culture. We're out of step with our world. And that's encouraging to us. I think the whole point is to encourage us because it's reality. It helps us to live acceptingly with the dissonance that it, we inevitably experience if we are serious about our Christian life. If you're serious about following Jesus Christ, you will experience dissonance. You will find yourself against the grain. And there is not, there's no surprise in that. Because we have been given, Peter says, a different identity. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have a different identity. If you call yourself a Christian, if you come to believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, you have experienced a new birth, which is a fairly definitive marker, is it not? Either you've been born or you haven't. So let me just ask a couple questions. How many of you here have been born? Not everybody, apparently. Okay. How do you know? Are you sure? Here. Are you sure? Okay. Let me focus the question a little bit more. How many of you here have given birth? How do you know? Have a baby. Are you sure? Absolutely. Okay. So the point is simply this. Birth markers are definitive markers, right? Either you're born or you're not. Either you've given birth or you haven't given birth. And, and so what Peter is simply saying to the followers of Jesus Christ, you have been given a new life, a second birth. And later on in verses 18 and 19 of the same chapter, he reminds us that a price has been paid to redeem us from death and futility. A value has been placed on us called the blood of Jesus Christ, the great life of God the Son. In order that you might experience, through the death of Jesus Christ, a new life. So I want you to understand that the depth of it, Peter is saying, you are valued, you are beloved, you have a new life, a miracle has happened to you, you are now a child of God, and you have been brought into a family that is characterized by holiness, and wholeness, and cleanness, and beauty, and purpose. And Peter's just calling us to live according to that. In fact, it's all through the New Testament. John says in his first letter, and I love this passage, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Now we are God's children. But what we will be has not yet appeared. We're not, we, we don't fully see it realized, right? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's like we've been given a true north. And our lives are directed toward that true north to become who we are, to become children of God. And the image of being the child of God runs throughout First Peter's letter, through Peter's letter, and establishes our deep purposes in life. He says we've been called into a family that's characterized by genuine love. That's the family life is a life of love and a life of worship centered in Jesus. And we've been called to be the people of God in the world, the children of God in the world, so we are to be prophets and proclaimers of the mercy of God and the excellencies of God. 
We've been given blessings, and we're called to not hoard those blessings, but literally pass them on. So he says in chapter 3, give a blessing, even with those who hate you and persecute you. We are called to be people of hope, and to live in hope, and to represent hope, so that when people say you're different, say it's because of who I am in Christ. So all through this book, the concept of a new identity runs strong. We are exiles but we've been given a new life. And I want to dig into that new life a little bit more and where it comes from back in chapter 1. Because that new life is characterized by hope and faith and love. That's the new life we have. Hope, faith, and love. Hope is the beginning point of it. Verse, again, 3. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And dear brothers and sisters, it's a hope that is born by the actual physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we come to realize and believe that Jesus is actually raised from the dead, everything changes. It literally changes. This person, Jesus, who claimed to be from God, who claimed to be God, who made incredible gains, claims to redeem us and reconcile us, to bring forgiveness and healing, to come to us because of the love of God, this one was raised in time, space, and history. And that becomes the center point of the birth of hope, a new life based on hope. We celebrated with you, Sally and I did, last Easter, Easter Sunday. And it was a wonderful day. You remember that day? How many of you were here? It was a fantastic day. As we staked our claim of our new life based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection is the sure factor of the foundation that changes everything. It's the centerpiece of our faith, and it turns our eyes of faith to Jesus, who is living and victorious. And the living Christ catalyzes hope and brings hope out of every fear and out of sorrow, out of every doom, out of every tragedy, out of every home moment of gloom. I want you to think with me. Just I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Imagine Mary Magdalene in the garden. She can't find the body. Jesus is dead. She can't find the body of Jesus. You know, even she can't even do the, the honorable human thing of honoring the body of Jesus. Her sense of all that she's given her life to is gone. It's down to drain. Have you ever been in a place where you say, what I've lived my life for is gone. It's wasted. It, 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 it wasn't true. And so the utter hopelessness that surrounds her what she did is given the dignified, the, the dignity of being the first person to literally witness the resurrected Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? She sees Jesus. She doesn't know who he is. And he turns to her, and in one word, he redoes her world. What is the word? Mary. Her name. He sees her. And I can't imagine the love with which he spoke her name. And suddenly, everything was changed from hopelessness to hope. He goes that night to the upper room where his disciples are quaking in fear. They're, they're, they're convinced that their crucifixion is coming. And they're frightened. The wall, the doors are locked. And he walks into the middle of them and what does he declare? What is his first word? Peace. Peace. I want to declare to you as the resurrected Jesus Christ that nothing can befall you that is 
greater than my love and my peace. No matter what you go through, you have peace with me. You have peace for eternity. A week later, Thomas, full of doubts, cynical, refusing to believe until he touches Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes in with kindness and compassion, the resurrected Jesus, and holds out his scarred hands. And Thomas touches him and says, my Lord, my God, have you ever struggled against with doubt pushing you? How does Jesus treat you in your doubts? With compassion and kindness. Ready for you to experience in a new and fresh way the reality of his resurrection. Imagine Peter sitting on the beach a couple weeks later, bearing still the shame of what he's done. But he sees Jesus on the shoreline and he jumps in and he swims to shore. And he finds that Jesus has done what? What has Jesus done? Cooked him breakfast. And Peter squats down on the shoreline. Jesus is there. And I'm not sure what words they exchanged at that point in time. Maybe none. Maybe it was just the comfort and the companionship of seeing that Jesus wanted to have breakfast with him. And no matter what your shame is, you realize that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in his resurrection, wants to have breakfast with you, okay? So every time we see the resurrected Jesus, he undoes hopelessness, fear, doom, and sorrow, and turns it into hope, sustaining new life. The ultimate hope we have, of course, is the hope of the new creation. And again, Jesus is the bellwether, the first fruits of what we are all going to become. So when we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see that's who our, what our future will be. I'm emphasizing this, dear brothers and sisters, because I think we have underestimated the power of hope as the central catalytic gift for our new life in Christ. It's when we see Jesus, we see the resurrected Jesus, and we understand that death has been undone, that we can believe in him, but it is hope that springs forth. Because we realize that the final enemy has been defeated. So all the other enemies along the way will be defeated. I met a woman recently, I'll call her Melanie, it's not really her name, but she wanted me to pray with her. And she had recently developed and been diagnosed with a third incurable autoimmune disease. The first one was rheumatoid arthritis that she had several years ago, but the second one I never had heard about. But just a few months ago, she was diagnosed with something called Sjogren's Syndrome. And what happens in that is her salivary glands and her tear ducts stop working. She has uh, dry mouth, difficulty swallowing. Eventually, she mouth dries, so many sores, cuts, it breaks down her ability to swallow, speak. She had already lost 10 pounds in the previous month just because she can't eat anymore. Eventually, her eyes stop producing tears. Uh, so the ultimate end of that is loss of vision. The doctors told her that the progress of her disease in three months was equivalent to the normal progress that occurs over 10 to 15 years. And they had said that we've never seen anybody who's had as bad or as quick a case of Sjogren's syndrome in our entire practice. Her body is attacking itself. What is meant to be protection against disease and infection has become her enemy. Her body has betrayed her. And she told me her story, and tears were pouring down her face, and 
her eyes uh, were covered, obviously her face was covered with sorrow, and it, it just it, it broke my heart. And she asked me to pray for it, and I prayed for it, and asked the Lord to give me sort of a vision of how to pray. And the visual image I had was Jesus in the tomb. But there's Jesus in the tomb on Easter morning. And the process of decay and disease in his body is literally being reversed in my as I imagine it. And life is coming back, and the suppleness and the youthfulness of life is springing forward again. The principle of life had overcome death. Decay and rottenness were yielding to life, surely as, surely as night yields to the dawn. How many of you greeted the dawn after a sleepless night? You think it's never going to come, right? But you see the dawn coming, and it always comes. It always comes. And Jesus' resurrection says that his life will triumph. It I imagine that, and I pray that over her, because I'm sure of Melanie's deliverance in the final resurrection. Because Jesus, in his body, in his resurrected body, is the guarantee of my future, right? But I was praying that Melanie would experience some of that resurrection healing in his life. Please, if you think about it, pray for me. Pray for me, please. We're born again, alive and holy. And I stand on this point because it is hope centered in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the springboard of the gospel. Paul says it, by the way, the same way in Colossians chapter 1. You can read it there. The gospel of hope. The gospel of hope. Hope is the breath and the air of this new life. Like the Spirit breathes life into Adam, the Spirit breathes hope into us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're born again. We respond to that message of hope with faith. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though for a little while now, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found the result in praise, and glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You believe this hope, you believe what I've just said, you believe Jesus has been raised from the dead, he came here on Easter, we all declared Christ is risen, we all were thought responded, he is risen indeed, right? We believe that, and we exercise faith in it. We believe it even though we weren't there, even though we can't see it. Excuse me, I'm going to look at challenge here. Okay. Uh, but we live in the assurance of this hope-filled end of all things, and we live with the conviction and confidence of things we cannot see. We respond to this promise of hope with faith. Now, we have plenty of evidence for what we believe. It's not, we're just not just jumping off a cliff. We do have the physical resurrection of Jesus that we declare. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are of all people most to be We do have the evidence of the church and its existence, which could never have been born apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do have the stories of transformed lives and of miracles, and probably many of us in this room have experienced miracles if we are willing to see it. And we see what God has done to intervene. We know that there's more to life than animal existence. We know that we have longings that must be answered by something. There's a longing for something that we're looking for. We are not wired to look for something that doesn't exist. We know that there's beauty and justice and love and goodness and things that we cannot see, but we actually believe in. There are events in history that are real and have ongoing reality, centered in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. 
once for all in history, but his sacrifice is a present tense reality. And we enter into that every Sunday when we come. And I can't see that, touch what happened on the cross. I was not at the foot of the cross. I wasn't in the garden when he was raised. But these events continue as present tense realities. There's much credibility and evidence for what we believe, but it still requires faith. Believing in what we cannot touch and see. Assured of what we hope for. And that faith will be tested. Peter says, so my dear mother-in-law is with the Lord now, her name is Sunshine. And um, she used to say, she's from Montgomery, Alabama, and she did speak in a certain way. Honey, life is just a veil of tears. Life is a veil of tears. <coughs> and it is true. Life by nature tests our faith in the hope is embodied in the resurrection of Jesus. But again, as we live by faith, as we exercise our faith, the muscles of living are growing. If light, hope is the source of the life itself, faith is the way we exercise and live the life. And it's sustained by God himself, Peter tells us. So hang on, guys. Hang on to your faith. Endure. I've been following Jesus for 58 years. And I'm not done. I've had my shares of temptations and doubts and battles and addictions and fears and failures. But the Lord has held me and strengthened me and kept me. If hope is the air we breathe, faith is the testing of our belief. And it is like muscles and tendons and joints. And we continue to walk in faith because we know what we believe. And finally, this walk of faith leads us to Jesus. Verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The walk of faith leads us to Jesus, whom we cannot physically see, but we do love because we believe. I want to, again, encourage you. Peter's making a statement of fact, not a feeling. You do love Christ because to believe him and to seek him and to obey him is to love him. Whether you feel it or not, your feelings are going to come and go. But your belief, your faith, your obedience, Jesus counts as love. Let me take you back to that scene with Peter that I referenced before on the shore at Lake Galilee. When Jesus cooked him breakfast, and after that there was this conversation. Remember that conversation? And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, Peter, more than these? Well, Sally and I were talking about that, and in fact, just this morning, and she shared with me something that I guess I hadn't really thought about, but I agree with her. Who are the these? Everybody always said, who are the these? Well, there were other disciples around, right? Remember, before the betrayal, Peter had said, everybody else will betray you, but I won't. I love you more than anybody else. But yet, he was the one who betrayed him. Now, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, you say you love me more than these people do. Now show it. Live it. And what was his offer? Not that you would passionately feel something for me. Not that you would even fall at my feet and embrace me. Your way of showing love for me is what? Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. Obey 
my commandment to you as a pastor. And it is in that obedience that you exercise your faith and you go demonstrate your love for Jesus. And we're called to be a people of love, love centered in Christ. But in the obedience of Christ, what happens is that we learn to love one another because that's what he wants us to do. And we learn to love the people in the world, even those who hate us, because that's what he calls us to do. So it is a growing life of love. And then finally, the result of this life is life as exiles. Hope, faith, and love, as Peter says, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Excuse me. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So I want to give you five words. Exiles, hope, faith, love, joy. And what I want to encourage you to do as you work back through this passage, and I encourage you to read this passage, grab one of those words for yourself. What word would God give you? Which of those words would he give you for your encouragement today? Do you need to be reminded that you're an exile and the dissonance you feel is because of your identity? Do you need to be reminded that the very life that you have as a Christian comes from hope? And therefore there is to be a foundational hope that runs through the course of your life because you keep looking back to the living Jesus. And that's where you're headed. Is there a call to for faith? Exercise conviction and obedience to what you believe. Is there a call to loving Jesus through obeying Him, through doing what He says to do? Is there a call to love and obedience to Christ around you and beyond you? And then finally, is there an offer here of joy that you would receive? So rather than understanding these things are shoulds that you ought to do, Remember that these are declarations of what God has already given you. Guys, th this is not a call to stress. This is a call to receive. It's a call to receive. You've been given hope. You've been given faith. You've been given love. You've been given joy. Receive it. Just receive it. And accept it as the gift of God given to you in Jesus Christ. Thank you.